Chapter Fifty Nine of The Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Fifty Nine. Prospects brighten. Thus far our fortune keeps an onward course, and we are graces with wreaths of victory. Shakespeare. Leaving Mrs. Lenore, Travers went down to the stable, saddled the horse that had been allotted to his use, and set off for a long day's journey to New Orleans, where late at night he arrived and put up at the St. Charles. He slept deeply from fatigue until late the next morning, when he was awakened by the sounds of trumpets, drums, and fifes, and by general rejoicing. He arose and looked from his windows to ascertain the cause. And saw the square full of people in a state of the highest excitement, watching for a military procession coming up the street. It was the United States troops under their gallant commanders who had landed from the steamboats that morning and were now marching from the quays up to their quarters at the St. Charles. As they advanced, Travers, eagerly on the lookout, recognized his own regiment. Travers withdrew from the window, hurriedly completed his toilet, and hastened downstairs. Where he soon found himself face to face with Herbert, who, warmly grasping his hand, exclaimed, "You here, old friend? Why, I thought you were down in East Feliciana with your interesting patient. It is for the interest of that interesting patient that I am here, Herbert. Did I tell you she was one of the victims of that demon Lenore? No, but I know it from another source. I know as much, or more of her, perhaps, than you do." Ah! Exclaimed Travers in surprise. Yes, I know. For instance, that she is Capitola's mother, the long-lost widow of Eugene Lenore, the mistress of the hidden house, and the ghost who drew folks' curtains there at night. Then you do know something about her. But how did you arrive at the knowledge? By the last dying speech and confession of Gabriel Lenore, confided to me to be used in restitution after his decease. But come, there is the second bell. Our mess are going into breakfast. Join us, and afterwards you and I will retire and compare notes," said Herbert, taking the arm of his friend as they followed the moving crowd into the breakfast parlor. After the morning meal was concluded, the friends withdrew together to the chamber occupied by Travers Rock, where they sat down for mutual explanations. Herbert first related to Travers all that had occurred from the time that the latter left the city of Mexico, including the arrival of Craven Lenore at the dying bed of his father. The subsequent death and funeral of Colonel Lenore, and the late emigration of Craven, who, to avoid the shame of the approaching revelation, joined a party of explorers bound for the recently discovered mines in California. The civilized world is then rid of two villains at once," said the uncompromising Travers. Herbert took from his pocket the confession of Colonel Lenore, which he said he was now at liberty to use as he thought proper for the ends of justice. That certain parts of the disclosure intimately concerned Traverse Rock, to whom he should therefore read the whole. The confession may be briefly summed up as follows: the first item was that he had sought to win the affections of Mara Rock, the supposed wife of Major Ira Warfield. He had sedulously waylaid and followed her with his suit during the whole summer. She had constantly repulsed and avoided him. He, listening to his own evil passions, had bribed her maid to admit him in the dark to Mara's cabin. Upon a certain night, when her husband was to be absent, that the unexpected return of Major Warfield, who had tracked him to the house, had prevented the success of his evil purpose, but had not saved the reputation of the innocent wife, whose infuriated husband would not believe her ignorant of the presence of the villain in her house, that he, Gabriel Lenore, in hatred as well as in shame, 
had forborne until now to make the explanation, which he hoped might now, late in life as it was, bring the long-severed pair together, and establish Mara Rock and her son in their legal and social rights. The second item in the black list of crime was the death of his elder brother, whom he declared he had not intended to kill. He said that, having contracted large debts which he was unable to pay, he had returned secretly from his distant quarters to demand the money from his brother, who had often helped him, that meeting his brother in the woods he made the request. Eugene reproached him for his extravagance and folly, and refused to aid him. An encounter ensued, in which Eugene fell. He, Gabriel Lenor, fled pursued by the curse of Cain, and reached his own quarters, before even his absence had been suspected. His agency in the death of his brother was not suspected even by his accomplice in other crimes, the outlaw called Black Donald, who, thinking to gain an ascendancy over one whom he called his patron, actually pretended to have made way with Eugene Lenore for the sake of his younger brother. The third item of confession was the abduction of the nurse and babe of the young widow of Eugene, the circumstances of which are already known to the reader. The fourth in the dreadful list comprised the deceptions, wrongs, and persecutions practiced upon Madame Eugène Lenore, and the final false imprisonment of that lady under the charge of insanity, in the private madhouse kept by Dr. Pierre Sejan in East Feliciana. In conclusion, he spoke of the wrongs done to Clara Day, whose pardon with that of others he begged, and he prayed that in consideration of his son, as little publicity as was possible might be given to these crimes. During the reading of this confession, the eyes of Traverse Rock were fixed in wonder and half-incredulity upon the face of Herbert, and at its conclusion he said, What a mass of crime! But that we may not dare to question the mercy of the Lord, I should ask if these were sins that he would ever pardon. Herbert, it appals me to think of it. Then, after deep thought, he added, this, then, was the secret of my dear mother's long unhappiness. She was Major Warfield's forsaken wife. Herbert, I feel as though I never, never could forgive my father. Travers, if Major Warfield had willfully and wantonly forsaken your mother, I should say that your resentment was natural and right. Who should be an honorable woman's champion, if not her own son? But Major Warfield, as well as his wife, was more sinned against than sinning. Your parents were both victims of a cruel conspiracy, and he suffered as much in his way as she did in hers, said Herbert. I always thought, somehow, that my dear mother was a forsaken wife. She never told me so, but there was something about her circumstances and manners, her retired life, her condition, so much below her deserts, never speaking of her husband's death, which would have been natural for her to do, had she been a widow, all, somehow, went to give me the impression that my father had abandoned us. Lately I had suspected Major Warfield had something to do with the sad affair, though I never once suspected him to be my father. So much for natural instincts, said Travers, with a melancholy smile. Travers, said Herbert, with the design of drawing him off from sad remembrances of his mother's early trials. Travers, this confession, signed and witnessed as it is, will wonderfully simplify your course of action in regard to the deliverance of Madame Lenore. Yes, so it will, said Travers, with animation. There will be no need now of applying to law, especially if you will come down with me to East Feliciana and bring the confession with you. I will set out with you this very morning, if you wish, as I am on leave. What? To hasten to the release of Capitola's mother, I would set out at midnight, and ride straight on for a week. 
Ah, there is no need of such extravagant feats of travel. It is now ten o'clock. If we start within an hour, we can reach the calm retreat by eleven o'clock tonight. On avant, then, exclaimed Herbert, rising and ringing the bell. Traverse ordered horses, and in twenty minutes the friends were on the road to East Feliciana. They reached the calm retreat so late that night that there was none but the porter awake to admit them. Traverse took his friend up to his own dormitory, saying laughingly, "'It is an unappreciable distance of time since you and I occupied the same bed, Herbert.' "'Yes, but it is not the first by five hundred times. "'Do you remember, Traverse, the low attic where we used to sleep, "'and how on stormy nights we used to listen to the rain pattering on the roof, "'within two or three inches of our faces, "'and how we used to be half afraid to turn over "'for fear that we should bump our heads against the timbers of the ceiling?' "'Yes, indeed,' said Traverse. And, therefore, the two friends launched into a discussion of old times, when the two widows and their sons lived together, the two women occupying one bed, and the two boys the other. And this discussion they kept up until long after they retired, and until sleep overtook them. The next morning Travers conducted his friend down to the breakfast parlor, to introduce him to Dr. Sajan, who, as soon as he perceived his young medical assistant, sprang forward, exclaiming, "'Grand Ciela! Is this you, then?' "'Have you then returned? "'What for did you run away with my horse?' "'I went to New Orleans, in great haste, "'upon very important business, sir.' "'Grand you! "'I should think so, "'when you ride off on my horse without saying a word. "'If it had been my ambling pony, "'I should have been in despair, I. "'Your business so hasty and so important "'was accomplished, I hope. "'Yes, I did my errand with less trouble "'than I had anticipated, "'owing to the happy circumstance "'of meeting my friend here.' who has come down hither connected with the same business. Ah, very happy to see your friend. In the medical profession, I suppose? No, sir, in the army. Allow me to present him. Major Herbert Grayson, of the Blankth Regiment of Calvary. We, I, Grand Ciela, this is the brave, the distinguished, the illustrious officer, so honorably mentioned in the dispatches of the invincible Taylor and the mighty Scott, said the little Frenchman, bowing his night-capped head down to his slippery toes. Herbert smiled as he returned the bow, and then the little French doctor, turning to Travers, said, "'But your business, so important and so hasty, which has brought this officer so illustrious down here, what is it, my friend?' "'We will have the honor of explaining to Monsieur le docteur over our coffee, if he will oblige us by ordering the servant to retire,' said Travers, who sometimes adopted, in speaking to the old Frenchman, his own formal style of politeness. Oui, oui, certainement, allez donc, John. Go then, John. As soon as the man had gone, Travers said, I propose to discuss this business over our coffee, because it will save time without interfering with our morning meal, and I know that immediately afterwards you will go your usual round of visits to your patients. Eh bien, proceed, my son, proceed. Travers immediately commenced, and related all that was necessary concerning the fraud practiced upon the institution, by introducing into it an unfortunate woman, represented to be mad, but really only sorrowful, nervous, and excitable. And, to prove the truth of his words, Travers desired Herbert to read from the confession the portion relating to this fraud, and to show the doctor the signature of the principal and the witness. To have seen the old French doctor then— I rejoice in a Frenchman, for the frank abandon with which he gives himself up to his emotions. Our doctor, after staring at the confession, took hold of the top of his blue-tasseled nightcap, 
pulled it off his head, and threw it violently upon the floor. Then remembering that he was exposing a cranium as bald as a peeled potato, he suddenly caught it up again, clapped it upon his crown, and exclaimed, "'Sacre! Diable!' and other ejaculations dreadful to translate, and others again which it would be profane to set down in French or English. Gabriel Lenore was no longer an officer illustrious, a gentleman noble and distinguished, compassionate and tender. He was a robber infamous, a villain atrocious, a caitiff Ruth, and without remorse. After breakfast the doctor consented that his young hero, his little knight-errant, his dear son, should go to the distressed lady and open the good news to her, while the great Major Grayson, the warrior invincible, should go around with him to inspect the institution. Traverse immediately repaired to the chamber of Mrs. Lenore, whom he found sitting at the window, engaged in some little trifle of needlework, the same pale, patient woman that she had first appeared to him. "'Ah, you have come. I read good news upon your smiling face, my friend. Tell it. I have borne the worst of sorrows. Shall I not have strength to bear joy?' Traverse told her all, and then ended by saying, "'Now, dear madame, it is necessary that we leave this place within two hours, as Major Grayson's regiment leaves New Orleans for Washington to-morrow, and it is advisable that you go under our protection. We can get you a female attendant from the St. Charles. Oh, I can be ready in ten minutes.' "'Bless you, I have no fine lady's wardrobe to pack up,' replied Mrs. Lenore, with a smile. Traverse bowed and went out to procure a carriage from the next village, and in half an hour afterwards the whole party took leave of Dr. Pierre Sajan and his institution incomparable, and set forth on their journey to New Orleans, whence in two days afterwards they sailed for the north. And now, dear reader, let you and I take the fast boat and get home before them, to see our little cap, and find out what adventures she is now engaged in, and how she is getting on. End of chapter 59